podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A pie in Cuba costs £1.50. A pie in Bermuda costs £2.50. A pie in Grenada costs 99 pence. I guess you could say these are the real pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that because I didn't know where it was going. I was like, nice. why is this going to end up? Your, fa- your faces are quite funny looking at that because you were like, yeah, thinking what on earth? It's a long setup for that joke. But um, I like it. I think that's, that's definitely a bounce back from the lows of last time. Oh, uh, Nate. Yes. Oh, no, Meadows is like, oh, we need to leave no, that to I was just more not having, I'm not having Nate project what's coming from Lawrence here. Like, Sorry, that's, fa- that's fair. Ferretto that's is fair. the one who makes this call. You don't tell him how he's well, I said I this. feel like it was. Wow, I tell you, trying to influence the referee, I'm not having that. It's good news though, Nate. Yeah. This not because of what you just said. Good. It's good news. It was significantly better on the low point of last time. <laughs> oh, look at the excitement on your face. I see how long I can drag this out for. It's a seven- Mate, oh, seven. Nice. Okay. That's good. I'll take that. We're back in we're back in business. Welcome to the Pad Hoc, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Bretto, senior writer at F1.com. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN.com. Beautiful. I want to. I'm going to continue the positive note actually at this point um, because we've got a lot to talk about on this show. Uh, but you've just talked about positive notes and last week being a blip. Do you remember last week was actually or the week before was called "We Got a Bad Review" because um, somebody didn't like us. Well, we've actually had since then three reviews <gasps> since people saw this, and the first one came like a day later, which I liked. That was titled new subscriber which is really catchy um <laughs> but it's it's someone from the uk who said only listen to one episode but i figured i would try and cancel out your bad review and give us five stars which oh. which is lovely and also i love the way it's a pity review i'm a big fan of that i'll take I'll take that all day long um but then we've had two more since uh, another one from the uk fun f1 random rambles this is gene nistra who says been listening for a few months always makes me laugh thanks guys hope this five star rating brings up the average so nice. again, like we're always going to read out reviews because if they're nice, we like it. And if they're not, it makes people give us nice ones. <laughs> uh, and the last one is from someone in the US, Morgan Holiday, whose review title is thumbs up, five stars, short, sharp, punchy and current. Uh, and we're nothing which is not current. Which was, which, was my, which was my Twitter bio, do you remember? Because I said that that was also how you could describe me. <laughs> yeah, I <do. laughs> so I appreciate, the, I appreciate the callback to that. That is niche that if they've picked up on that i'm very yeah yeah i I, i'd like to think so unless it's unless they've literally just picked the same words to review as that last person did i think do you know a morgan holiday i don't wow i don't i have no idea so thanks morgan you're a trendsetter apparently so i mean controlling the conversation i like it (laughs) yeah it's all flowing through me (laughs) yeah so i like that let's make it flow through bretto because he's just got back from bahrain and the government has checked that he's self-isolating. Uh, and you are, aren't you, Barreto? Please confirm to the listeners. I can confirm, dear listeners, and to you, Medicine Nate, as you can see from the bookshelf behind me, I am self-isolating since returning to the UK yesterday. Um, yeah, the government gave me a call this morning. Not Boris himself, 
um, just one of his employees, I guess you'd call him, uh, just to check to see if I was self-isolating, that I understood the rules um, um, and that I'm whether or not I'm doing the test and release. So, yeah. So weirdly, when you were talking there, 10 Downing Street quickly joined the call and then left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't know if you saw that, but I think they're happy. I think they're fine with that. Just there's buzzwords and you you mentioned four of them. So, yeah. You <laughs> like nailed it. An you alarm went it. off and they had to just listen. I start winning some. I win bingo then. I win, I win COVID 19 bingo. It sounds like it. How was Bahrain? Um, it was hot. It was sandstormy. And it was without trying to make you guys feel jealous. It was nice to be back in the paddock. Uh, nice to actually just get the winter over and done with. Um, and just to get cars back on circuit. Um, I didn't get to see trackside much just because of the restrictions. Um, but it was cool just to see the cars, to see everyone getting back up and running again. Um, everyone's in quite a good mood. Everyone's, I think, a little bit, the drivers specifically, are a bit frustrated and they just want to crack on now. I feel like they've been waiting they feel like they've been waiting a long time to to get back behind the wheel so um yeah and i like the short i don't know how you guys felt but i like the shorter format the three-day <laughs> format um in in a country where the weather was better so they could kind of not moan about it being cold i know there was a sandstorm but for most of the people i spoke about that didn't seem to damage the the data they get yeah i liked uh, it a lot i think i think having having less running going into the season is quite nice because there's a lot more question marks for us uh especially you know in 2019 when we saw ferrari was quickest at the first test the second test gave mercedes that chance to bring an upgrade and kind of troubleshoot all their problems and now the talk is are they going into this first race on the back foot a bit which it seems like they are i don't know how much i buy that they're in complete crisis mode but it, it gives us that talking point whereas maybe six or eight days of testing in bahrain we probably would have ironed that out by day five or six lewis would have popped up with some lap like half <laughs> a second quicker than verstappen and we're all like oh, okay here we go again. So it is, it is nice from that perspective. Yeah, definitely. There's way more unknowns right now, which is quite fun. And that sandstorm you're on about was like watching it on TV. It looked really bad. Um, and obviously it wasn't fun, but I, I remember I, I was there 2019, I think it was. And they had the test, the in-season test. So two, two days on Tuesday and Wednesday after the Grand Prix in Bahrain. And Monday it was like planned to be a bit of a day off, maybe go to the beach or something. And this proper sandstorm came in and looked out the hotel window and couldn't see a lot but you could drive in it like when you're out on the road it's not nice but you can see far enough to know what's coming and you know you can drive at basically normal speeds and stuff and i think a lot of the drivers got out and kind of said yeah it wasn't ideal grip level was low but that was kind of it so we're looking at it like oh this must be horrific and they're getting covered in sand and they can't see a thing and they're like no it's just a bit long grip so um i think they uh they didn't actually get set back quite as much because some teams did loads of running in the sand, didn't they? It kind of cleaned it up, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was it was something different. That was cool, but yeah, it was a bit a bit rubbish up being there. But at the same time, that also was a good thing that it was just a short, sharp test, and it's done now. Let's get the racing. Exactly, and I also quite like that we're going to Bahrain for the race. I think that will have changed the way that they approach testing this time around. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, and it's good. It's a good. It's a good circuit, isn't it? You normally get quite good races there. So hopefully, we can start the season off on a high. Yeah, well, and it's like it's a high that comes after a bit of a low, wasn't it? Because I guess the main point of testing, or main talking point, was losing Murray Walker on Saturday night, um, and when that news came out, which must have been really weird, actually, I guess for you as well there, because it was it was really weird just hearing it and sad hearing the news from afar. But I guess in in that sense, we're not around each other to then talk about it too much, like on WhatsApp and stuff. You were or putting things on social media, but in the paddock, obviously, that's where he was so well known and loved that you must have been talking to loads of people that were kind of like um, devastated, I guess. 
Yeah, it, the thing with Murray is that he was universally liked. Like, there was genuinely no one inside the paddock who didn't have a good word to say about him. And I, I don't think there's many people that you can say that about. And so it did have an impact on, on everyone in the paddock. And it wasn't just, you know, he obviously he worked for the BBC and did commentary in the UK, but that didn't mean that he wasn't um, known across across the world, partly just because of... Um, his Murrayisms, his style of commentary, just the kind of person that he was. Um, and so that's why what everyone really was talking about um, on, on the final day of testing, um, to have lost such a legend. Yeah, because um, I, I did the story for Racer and admittedly I was writing it and I was thinking, is this actually going to resonate with them? Like the US audience, are they going to have heard much of Murray or know him that well? Or is it going to seem like a huge deal to us here in the UK and not so much in some other places? But yeah, the guys there were like, oh, we think we got him and James Hunt a fair few races. But main thing is like, he's just a legend and like he's known in his own right, even though we didn't really have him as a commentator here. We we know who Murray Walker is. So yeah, they wanted it. But um, I think I'm right in saying Nate hinted earlier before we start recording this, that he's sat next to Murray Walker in the past, which is hell of an honor. Yeah, no, I did. Um, it was the Channel 4 uh, launch for I think I'm trying to remember the year now I think it was 2015 or 2016 they had the the rights so the 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 event was at the start of the year we went to London and yeah he was one of the kind of guests he wasn't a commentator but they'd occasionally have him on as a guest analyst and so we got to interview everyone involved in it and <clears throat> Murray was there and I remember they were like yeah you'll get some time with him and I was sat where they where they said right we, we're gonna have Murray Walker here um and there was just a space next to me and he just came and sat down and was like, hello, you know, and I was, and, you know, we've talked before about not really getting that starstruck by drivers when we've talked to them, but with Murray there, I remember being like, this is really weird. <laughs> you know, this was really cool. I was just a bit like, this is crazy. Like, and the thing, the thing with him is as well is that when he talks about F1, he talks exactly the same way to you in a huddle as he did in the commentary booth. So it was kind of, you're almost like, this is really strange. It's kind of like being back at home when you're 10 watching, you know, races on tv again so yeah that was always really nice um and just a really nice guy like he said hello to everyone when we stopped recording i remember just chatting to him for a little bit and it, it wasn't anything major but it was just kind of nice small talk and he didn't know who i was he had he had no idea who a few of the journalists there were he knew some of the guys who'd been around for a long time but he talked to everyone exactly the same so yeah just a super nice guy and you can see why every single person in the paddock was like yeah just absolute legend i think lawrence you're right like a place like F1, a paddock like that, you all, most people have someone who will say, I don't actually like that person or I've got this bad story about them. And with Murray, you, it, they just didn't have that. You know, you, you, everyone I've spoken to is just like, yeah, yeah n- nothing but good things about him. So yeah, um, what a good, yeah, what a legend. I mean, 97 is a great innings as well. So hopefully all of us can live as long as that. And, you know, if, if people are half as nice about us when we go as they were with him, then I think you've done a good job. So I think that speaks volumes about him. Yeah, big time. I think the only person that maybe at any point might have had a bad word said about Murray Walker was probably James Hunt in the early days. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. fact that even he got one round, I think, tells you everything you need to know about Murray, doesn't it? When they were like on the edge of coming to blows and and end up as this like properly really well matched pair. So uh, yeah, you can't I can't think of anyone else and never have ever heard a bad word mm. said about him. I've got to give a shout out to um Andrew Benson's piece on the BBC that was um written that evening. Some of the stories in there were 
just hilarious. I think on the James Hunt one, you know, when James Hunt would go out to have a cigarette outside, Murray Walker would say, well, he's just gone to have, yeah, Murray Walker would be like, oh, he's, um, he's just gone to have a look around the back of the circuit type thing. And, you know, Hunt was just out not doing that, not you know, doing things <laughs> that Murray wouldn't have been, wouldn't have endorsed and stuff. And yeah, but just, you were, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to find a, find a way of saying that. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, just stories like that are hilarious. And the great thing with him was, I think everyone had the same experience on, on that evening was just going through YouTube and just watching all the clips of him. And they're still as infectious now as they were at the time. You know, I watched a bunch of them and, you know, there was that compilation. I think Meadows, you sent it to me actually of just, it was about six minutes and every one of them is just fantastic. Like you're just laughing away and yeah, just, just superb. Yeah. I won't try and do his, uh, do an impression of him. I was going to uh, say, I thought yeah. you were about to line up, a, line up an impression. And I was like, I'm not going to do one. Cause that's, no, it would be blasphemy, you, but... wouldn't it? Yeah. But it, yeah. it was, you're right. Infectious is the right word. It just kind of you got lost in a rabbit hole of of clips of him on Saturday night because like each one was just kind of like it, it almost excited you. And I, I guess it's because we've heard some of them, but loads of them are from before my time anyway, and they're still just awesome. So um, yeah, I think that's another. I thought thing that is, was impressive as well. Was like there's a whole generation of fans that didn't grow up listening to Murray Walker, but they still had the same respect for him as you know. And I for us as well, like I only only had a few years of Murray, you know, from watching from like you know, 95 to about 2001 was when he was a main commentator. So that's, you know, it's only five, six years. I was pretty young, but then every, every commentator that's followed since in the UK is kind of compared to Murray, you know, and it's, it's, I, I remember, I think I said to you in um, that evening, I was like, I, I always felt really sorry for James Allen because he followed him on British TV. And whatever you think about James Allen as a commentator, immediately it was like, well, this guy's not Murray. He's not Murray Walker, you know, like, so he automatically was kind of in a position where he just wasn't going to win. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny how that played out. Mm. What about you, Medis? Have you got any experiences with Murray? Uh, I've got a few little ones. So I was actually trying to get in touch with him earlier this year um, for a feature, and I was chatting to uh, Andrew Benson. Like as Nate said, that was a really really nice piece he wrote. And yeah, um, Andrew's like a, was a really good friend of Murray's through their time working together at BBC stuff as well. And he kind of got in touch with me and said, "I can't put you in touch with him. Basically, he's not." Um, not in the best of shape and and he could tell there was a bit of a difference but he was then saying like, I, I usually speak to him pretty regularly on the phone and um, you know, he'll want to know about what's going on he, he was always right up until um, his late 90s he was wanting to be like finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening within the paddock and that was one of the interesting things is the way that Benson described it as well the way that Murray was so positive all the time about F1 like the way he spoke about it the way he publicly was, but he was also not naive to like its faults and problems it had and stuff like that. It would just be more internally. He'd talk about those. And I remember I was working the media services team at the media center. It's Silverstone 2008, nine and 10. I did it uh, for three years in a row. And I can't remember which specific year it was, but there was a year that, that Murray had come to Silverstone for the race um, and had been, you know, either been given a pass or even if he hadn't been given one, he could probably just walk straight in, but he'd come into the media center um and he plonked himself down between um david tremaine and joe saywood um he sat a bit behind them but he just had come up and like annoyed them from behind and sat down and started <laughs> basically giving them a load of shit um like and because i remember sort of being told in I, i'd been sort of getting to know them too trying to get my foot in the door as a journalist and i've been given some time to talk to them both so i was getting on quite well with them and and i was 
then warned by Murray not to take anything they say seriously and how it's absolute useless, like crap that comes out of their mouths and they know nothing. But the whole reason he was sat there was because he was trying to find out what was going on from them. <laughs> um, and I absolutely loved it. But he was in he was in there for hours, just sat chatting to people, everyone coming up to him whenever they walked by, just seeing how he's doing. Like the reaction was huge. And um, a bit like Nate says, like I think if anyone can get to the end of their life and have that reaction as well. Um, but not only that, I guess it's in a sense, it's easy, isn't it, to say, um, when somebody passes away to then like pay your respects or to say nice things. Um, it's almost the done thing. But Murray was someone where people were doing it consistently throughout mm-hmm. his life. And the fact that, you know, they saw he was there and wanted to go and talk to him and see him and say hello. And if you look at social media, the amount of people, yeah, our age, older and younger as well, that if they ever got the chance to meet Murray Walker, they took it and they've got photos with him and they've got a story about time with him because he was that like important and that loved. Um, so yeah, that was that was my kind of main memory of him was him coming and just you know he wasn't working anymore he didn't need to be doing it he just wanted to he still absolutely loved it even into his 90s so um i thought that was very cool and i had one time i put it on social media the other day i actually totally forgotten until like talking about murray a lot kind of reminded me but i've done one grand prix commentary in my life um in canada in 2018 i had to do the it was only the um f1 tv kind of alternate feed sort of pit lane channel type thing and um, yeah, not, not a huge amount of people at that point would have been listening to it, but it was me properly in a commentary box and I got to use a lip mic, like a proper old school lip mic. And they, they just supplied them, you know, I didn't get to choose this. There was just two there, but it was only me doing the commentary on my own. Um, and I also stood up and I remember thinking the lip mic was really cool. And it only really hit me afterwards. Like There was no point in that time, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not going to um, kind of do rose tinted specs and be like, oh yes, I imagined myself as Murray. I wasn't, <laughs> but I was, and you know, I, I don't imagine myself as any commentator because I'm definitely not a commentator, but I um, I stood up the whole time and held the lip mic and and basically emulated in the sense of the way you approach commentary in exactly the same way Murray had and in exactly the same way that I think a lot of the older commentators do. And I think it just, I hadn't realised, but it's kind of ingrained someone of my generation at least, that that is how you commentate. That's commentary. It's not it's not how Murray Walker commentates. He transcended it so much that I was like, that is how you commentate on a Formula One race is you stand up because you're excited and you want to see everything. You want to see every screen. You want to see out the window. You want to, you know, you just, the energy, you, you want to be stood up. And the lip mic was, that means you're a proper commentator holding a lip mic. It's so different and unique and old like school. It's what you've seen as you've grown up. So uh, it only really hit me afterwards when I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that's all going to have been like subconscious. And, you know, I, I wasn't thinking it at the time. It wasn't wasn't planned but when I look back I'm like yeah I, I that's probably why I had that kind of excitement about the, the type of mic it was and and why I wanted to do it the way I did was because in my head it was just being ingrained there that that's that's how you commentate because that's how Murray Walker commentated so nothing else was anything like Murray Walker commentated it was an awful race <laughs> the only thing that happened was Stroll and Hartley crashed at the start um and there's a big shunt so I got excited about that and then nothing happened after that it was an absolute procession dull as hell um and I just had to fill time in a really boring manner so sorry to anyone who heard it but um <laughs> yeah that also then from that the respect for people to be full of energy and to make it so exciting even when it's not find things that get people excited to be able to go to different levels at the right times and stuff yeah Murray just absolutely nailed it and uh, I think Lewis said didn't he after when he was asked about Murray on Sunday that the level of excitement he brought was huge so yeah I, I kind of think, I think we'll always miss that because I don't think anyone, no no disrespect to any other commentator in Formula One, but I don't think anyone will ever come anywhere near close. Well, Lewis said something good. <clears throat> he said, if you're in a different room, you still 
you still have the same, you know, you, you'd always feel like you're missing something on the TV. <laughs> and I remember that. I remember you'd go in, you're like, oh, I must have missed something. And all it was was like, just Schumacher was, you know, lapping someone or something, you know, and he was just screaming down the TV. So yeah, it, it, it definitely won't be matched again. And there's a funny story I read, actually. Sorry, I know, Lawrence, I think you've got a story as well. But Martin Brundle used to, apparently, he would sit there and he'd tap Murray on the shoulder when he wanted to talk. You know, if Murray was talking and and Martin said he just sometimes would sit there and just be like whacking Murray on the shoulder as Murray is just, you know, is just in full flow and he wouldn't get, be able to get a word in edgeways. But Martin said any other person I would have been, that would have annoyed me, but because it was, because it was Murray Walker, he was like, all right, well, this is part of the show. And, you know, Martin was there like, when I get, when I get a second, I'll jump in. Um, but yeah, they were quite rare. I remember this, one of the stories that Murray told me was um, about James Hunt and you kind of hinted about it earlier was that James got so frustrated with Murray that he couldn't get a word in edgeways that he just yanked the microphone out of his hand. And Murray said his, his instinct was to go and punch him. And then he saw his producer stood behind him, facing him going like, like, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, so he didn't and he let it happen. And he said that moment could have changed the way that they worked together. Because obviously after that, they got over it and they started to work together much better but can you imagine if Murray had lumped him of course he wouldn't have done it but it was just a great it was just a great story because Murray was obviously so excited in that moment and wanted to tell the people what was going on and then someone had just taken the microphone away from him and stopped him in the heat of the moment so I thought that was a really um that's great that was a really sweet story um the first time that I met Murray um was when his autobiography came out and he did a book signing in Selfridges on Oxford Street um so I went up there with my my Alex Hawkin, who works in Formula One PR now, and we got there like five hours early, so we're at the front of the queue. Um, and I remember going up and having never met him before. Um, but he was the one that um, I wanted. I didn't. I wanted to work in Formula One, and I didn't think I would be good enough to be a commentator. But he was the one who inspired me to want to work in some form in the media in Formula One. And I remember going up there and being so nervous and not really know what to say other than like. Oh, hi Murray and then he would just <laughs> but he would just talk at he talked at you not in a like an overpowering way but he could just see that I was so nervous but excited to be there and would just ask me questions about myself and um I was born in a village called Frimley and way back when he used to race motorcycles <clears throat> there used to be a track here well in Frimley on a field where he was he raced or, oh, cool. or, yeah race motorcycles so I was like well this is pretty cool so obviously as soon as I mentioned where I was from and stuff he had a story to tell then and you can probably imagine at this time he just wanted to chat and I was the first person well we were the first people in the queue and god knows how long it would have taken for that queue to go down because I'm sure that Murray did the same you know with everyone that um came to that book signing because he was overwhelmed by the fact that people a wanted to buy his book and b wanted to speak to him and I think that humbleness was something that I don't think ever went away, but was one of the many, many, many qualities um, that he had. Um, and then I was super fortunate that through my work at the BBC, I got to work with him a little bit because even though he wasn't commentating at the time, um, he just wanted to talk about Formula One. And so we had like a series where he would talk about, uh, we'd do little video interviews um, after each race. And so I built up sort of, a relationship with him a little bit then and I spoke to him on his 90th birthday and I remember thinking then I, I caught, he gave me his home number so I called him like a landline and I called him and his wife Elizabeth picked up 
and uh, she just she was like, I'm really sorry. Like Murray's just eating lunch, and he's really sorry that you know he told you to call at two o'clock, and you've called at two o'clock on the door, and he feels so bad that he's not ready and stuff. And he can hear Murray in the background going, "I'm coming, I'm coming." And then he he grabbed the phone. He was like, and he spent the first couple of minutes like being really apologetic. He was like, "I know you're so busy, and I know that you've got so much going on." Um, so I'm really, really sorry. And I was like, Murray, don't like, don't worry. It's completely fine. And we just spoke for like an hour, one hour and a half. And he just recount, you just let it go, really. And he just recounts story after story after story, um, which was, yeah, it was, I felt really lucky that I had like a one-on-one audience with him that I felt that <clears throat> um, I was just, you know, someone who he had met a couple of times beforehand. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, we weren't friends, but he was just always someone who would just give his time to me. And then I've got an email here that he sent me when I left, uh, when I joined Autosport and uh, he emailed me and he was like, hello, Lawrence. Um, I think you're doing an excellent job at Autosport. Now that I no longer go to the races, which I miss very much, I'm largely dependent on TV, Autosport and F1 racing to find out what's going on. So I read every word of your stuff and I'm well impressed. It takes me ages to produce my miserly 720 words for F1 racing every month, but yours seem to come so much more easily. I'd be delighted to talk to you. Give me a call anytime. Regards, Murray. Oh, what a man. And he says, well impressed. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> love that. Down, he's it's, down with the kids. I didn't realise Murray yeah. was down with the kids like that. He was just... Uh, he was just... Um, That's so nice as well that, you, that you've got that. Yeah. So, you've got that forever. And do you have the book That's as cool. well that you signed? Yes, so I've got the book oh, here. There is Murray. And uh, oh, here, is. here you go. Oh, can Such neat handwriting. Yeah. So, so now so. now we're talking about it as well. I've remembered from that Channel 4 meeting, one thing that I remember at the time being like, that was funny, was um, the PR for the event came around and said, right, everyone, here's Murray. And I think there were a couple of journalists there, like I said, who he recognised. He, he saw me and he put his hand out. And said hi my name i think it was like hi my name's murray and i was like i mean i know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. i was like hi i'm nate but i was just like i know who you are you don't have to but he was just like oh hi and then he said to the next person he's like hi i'm murray you know and i remember at the time just being like that that's nuts because he'd just been introduced as murray we all knew he was murray walker like he didn't need to do that and it's just little things like that that you know sometimes show someone's personality quite well yeah I, and you uh Beretta just mentioned the handwriting obviously people can't see this but yeah on the like inside cover um murray signed it for him and uh he has really unique but neat kind of like cool i always think handwriting and i saw on instagram uh, and bradshaw who used to work in pr for lots of different teams williams um at, for a big spell and she was at formula one actually um the last few years as well and now w series as well um and he put up a picture of something that murray had signed for her i think it might even have been the same book um but it was quite a message that he'd put in it where it basically said um to keep smiling because there's not many many left like us um and it was that thing as well i think that murray very much felt it and this is something you get with annie when you see her around in the paddock like as someone who absolutely is living out there like love and passion and has not been ground down by it in any way shape or form like i'll admit doing this job there's plenty of times where like I, you lose the love and excitement a bit because you're just working you're in work mode you're focused on stuff you don't it's no longer your escape to sit and watch a grand prix or some, something to do with formula one at other times you just want to switch off from it and i love watching all other sports and formula one used to be part of that package and now it's kind of separate because i work in it and you felt like with them they never hit that point they were always just so excited and happy to be within it um and i think for murray to have held on to that for so long um basically you know 
right up until he did, right up until he died to still be kind of so passionate about the sport and so so in love with it I think is incredible and something that yeah I only hope um that I sort of I guess can learn from but that it happens to other people as well that we that more people can kind of look at that because it was something I did say just very quickly um someone it might have been on a tweet or something but it was the way that growing up listening to Murray and and his approach and his demeanor and his just huge excitement for, for a grown man who I knew you know at my young age I knew he was you know in his 60s then I think maybe in 70s probably 70s um the the excitement level he had was enormous and I kind of thought so I don't need to grow up if that makes sense like, <laughs> as I get older and you know right now I can get so excited about sport but I know it's just sport so much and I was like but I don't need to it doesn't ever need to be just sport this can still be something that I'm absolutely like infatuated with and get so excited about because other people do and and they're loved for it so um you don't need to kind of grow up and mature and and start putting less importance on it you can if anything put more importance on it and um yeah i really i really loved that about him the way he just never ever kind of nothing dampened him down at all it was like that clip wasn't it when he did the snooker and he said what if i do this i've always wanted to commentate on snooker years ago on a tv show that that went round on saturday night um and he said he had to stand up to do it and i thought like having not seen the clip before i thought it was going to be his attempt at being a snooker commentator because he said he'd always wanted to do it but he gave it the murray walker treatment he was like completely himself and he was like well and, and he's like he's like oh he's going for the white he's gonna hit the white <laughs> yeah, like yeah <laughs> um and was it was it like when it just misses he's like and out because the ball came back out um yeah. yeah it was just so good and that sort of thing that's what i think you just hope that to look like if you can take something from him it's just that passion and excitement like never never fades away mm. and also one of the things um just to just to finish off um that is amazing with him as well reading all the obituaries and stuff is that before he became a commentator he'd already lived an incredible life before that you know he'd been a tank commander in the second world war um he'd then worked in advertising and what i didn't realize and again a nod to benson's piece was the fact that he'd come up with two fairly famous jingles for i think it was opal fruits and mars bar which in the uk are quite well known and he wrote them so you know even before all this stuff he's done all these all these great things um which i just didn't realize and it makes you it makes you realize that the extent of his life before he even got in the commentary booth was pretty impressive and like lawrence said he raced you know he did all sorts of racing himself when he was uh, when he was young yeah on two wheels a bit like a bit like damon i think that's probably why they had such a connection like damon hill and, and murray walker but um yeah you mentioned the mars um jingle as well i seem to think that was in benton's piece that it was like that was the agency he worked for came up with that and he was part of it, but it wasn't his. So Murray was always really keen for people to not give him credit for something. Like yeah, that. that's right. Like, yeah. That's that's how humble he is. He's like, it was there. And Mars a day helps you work, rest and play, which even I can remember because it was still <laughs> the jingle when when I first was like buying Mars Pass unhealthily. But yeah, um, <laughs> all because of Murray Walker, though. So it's for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so I know this isn't our usual approach to a pod, but um yeah, there's just there's just too much good stuff to talk about Murray to to be. Yeah, I think mess, we could probably around. we could probably do hours of talking about Murray Walker. You know, oh, you, could, you, you could get guests on and stuff. Like, um, there's a great uh, just one more thing from from YouTube. There's a great interview Murray did with Michael Schumacher. Um, you know, I think it was towards you know towards the end of Schumacher's kind of first stint, and the respect that Schumacher has for Murray, despite the fact that Murray Walker had said he says it in interviews that like, I've I've criticised you, I've called you a cheat occasionally. And Schumacher still treats him with that reverence and that, and that respect. And I think that that I was watching that and I was like that so many people would do that interview today and would just get cut off or shut down or, or they wouldn't even get the interview. You know, like we know how difficult it is sometimes to interview some of the bigger guys one-on-one -on -one and to kind of 
to go in and actually you know present any criticism at all you there's a pr person there, whatever um so yeah if if people wanted to they could spend days on youtube which i've kind of done i think i've probably <laughs> spent about 12 hours since the weekend just watching clips of him that's been great well then just finally have you have you picked up on a favorite like clip or line like commentary line from murray since watching that so for me i, I shared it on on twitter it's monza 1998 and Coulthard is leading, Hakkinen second, Schumacher's third. And then Coulthard's engine goes, and Murray just goes, bang! And then Schumacher makes a move on Hakkinen at the second chicane. And Murray is so excited that he just, he, he can't say Schumacher. He, he takes like five attempts to say it. Schumacher overtakes Hakkinen, the crowd goes crazy. And Murray's just shouting like, this is fantastic, you know? And it's not one of his most iconic ones, but it in, it, it's in a 10 second clip is kind of everything you want from Murray Walker. He's just so excited watching it. And it, it actually may, if you, if you watch it muted, it's not that exciting. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's one guy's engine failing Schumacher making a pretty good overtake, but you watch it with Murray and you're like, I just watched the greatest piece of racing ever. And that I think speaks volumes to what he was like in the, in the booth. Yeah. And as soon as I'm going to let Lawrence have the last word and I might steal one before him, but mine was, um, <laughs> was Suzuka 96 was the Damon Hill championship yeah i know a lot of people have brought it up but yeah I, I remember just that was the first season i remember watching everything religiously like getting up at the crazy o'clock to watch races and things like that and um yeah when he was like and i've got to stop because i've got a lump in my throat and i think also because it summed up as a british fan watching at that point at least um but for i think for a lot of people it was really great to see damon actually do it obviously following his dad as well um, it was like a, a good feel good story. Obviously, it was the first Williams title as well after Senna's death and that sort of thing. And it was it was like he was telling you like your emotion like is being shared by everyone right now. Mm. Like at this second, what you're feeling, we're all feeling it. And he kind of says it. It was just it was just beautiful. Um, so yeah, that one. And also, it's quite sticks. it's quite against like the British stiff upper lip thing, isn't it? It's just like he was like, it's okay to be emotional about sport if you want to mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that I mean that is that is the standout one. I just I use Monza because it's kind of underrated and it's been there. But yeah, Suzuka. There's a great one when, when Herbert won as well. Nurburgring '99. The way he finishes that is he just says words fail me, and then you know, and because he, he just doesn't know what to say, and he just and no one else could believe that race result. So yeah, he was great at those little kind of moments. Can you imagine what he'd have been like for Brazil? Oh wait, I think that's the only <laughs> yeah, the only sad thing is that Brundle did a great job with that call, but. Murray would have absolutely lost his mind at the end of that race. And probably, I mean, probably would have made all sorts of mistakes along the way. Um, but yeah, it would have been, would have been nuts. Yeah, it just never favorite. mattered though, did it? When he made a mistake. Um, Cause I was going to say my favorite one was uh, one of my favorites was when he said, Mansell's slowing down, taking it easy. Oh no, he isn't. It's a lap record. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Within that like short space of time, he's gone from yeah. one extreme to the other one. But you just don't care, do you? You just you just love the fact he's basically in it, and he's going, "Oh my god, this is happening! This happened! Oh no, this is happening! This!" You could just feel yeah. that buzz inside his voice. Um, yeah, I don't. There's never going to be anything like him, is it? Quick shout out to the Alacy one from Melbourne '97. So Alacy runs out of fuel, and I I always think that Murray Walker was annoyed with John Alacy as well because he's like his team will be ab so lutely furious, and the way he says furious at the end is like he's shouting it at John Alacy. And I can, I can, I think I'm pretty sure I can remember watching that race and kind of my dad laughing at that bit. It's probably a, a memory I've kind of invented in my head, but out of all of them, I can remember that quite well. Yeah, yeah. No, so um, I keep, it, I keep, I keep jumping in, saying one last one, one last one. But that is no, the last one. Now. But right. that just says it all, though, doesn't it? Really, I think that that just says everything about what how great Murray was and what Murray means to so many people. Um, and this podcast has flown by, um, which just says a lot 
doesn't it, about the man himself. Um, so, chaps, let's just end it there. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I loved hearing about Murray. Let's talk about Murray all day long. We can talk about Murray after this podcast. Yeah. Um, thanks to everyone who's been listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks for everyone who's left those reviews as well, you know, bumping up our, our status on there. We appreciate that too. Follow us on our social media channels um, on Twitter and on, oh, where else? <laughs> where else Facebook. We We're on Facebook. We're on Clubhouse now. We're on Clubhouse Ooh. as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we, if if you are on Clubhouse, Nate, Chris, well, it's and in, I, invite only. So you know, if you're part of the special club that have friends on Clubhouse, get them to invite you. <laughs> and then you can listen to us chat on there as well. Um, so thank you very much again, guys. Thanks to Nate and to Chris. You can read their work on Race and ESPN and my stuff on F1.com. We'll do this again sometime. Thanks. Bye. 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 Network.